Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Today, James Collins will show us how to know history before it happens. And Marvin McIlvaney will have a timely Bible in the News report. A special hello to all of the folks listening today that are new to Watchmen on the Wall. Make sure you get your new listener pack. It's free, and it's our way of saying welcome to Watchmen on the Wall. The latest issue of the Prophetic Observer newsletter and a free gift are included. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 and request your free new listener pack today. When it was written, approximately 30% of the Bible's content was prophetic. Today, nearly all of these prophecies have become recorded history, but a handful of the Bible's predictions remain to be fulfilled. They are predictions of the end times, and many biblical scholars believe the ancient prophecies are abruptly coming true. Here is staff evangelist James Collins to look at these predictions and the beginning of the end. Patrick Heron was an Irish author and expert in Bible prophecy. He was born and raised in Dublin. When he was 24 years old, he had a Saul on the road to Damascus type experience while reading the Bible, and he became a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. In the 1990s, he got interested in end-time studies. He wanted to make the information on Bible prophecy available to the ordinary man in the street, so he published his first book, Apocalypse Soon, in 1997, which became a bestseller in his home country of Ireland. Apocalypse Soon went on to become a bestseller in all of Europe, and as a result, Heron was featured on hundreds of radio and television stations, both in the United States and internationally. One of those interviews caught the attention of Tom Horn, president of Skywatch TV. In 2007, Tom published a revised and updated edition of Apocalypse Soon in the United States. The book did very well, and Patrick became a frequent guest on programs in America that focused on Bible prophecy. Sadly, soon after he found success in the United States, Patrick Heron died from cancer. Even though his life on this earth was cut short, his legacy continues through his books and hundreds of hours of recordings. Not long after Apocalypse Soon was released in the United States, Patrick called in from Ireland to talk about the book. Today we're going to listen to portions of that interview. In Apocalypse Soon, Patrick Heron wrote that all of the signs that are evident today in Bible prophecy point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. By and by, what we're seeing are the storm clouds of the apocalypse gathering, you know, the hoofbeat of the four horsemen of the apocalypse are clearly to be heard by anybody with ears to hear, and the world is a time bomb whose fuse has long since been lit. So all these things happening around the world, financially, economically, militarily, the weird weather, etc., are all parts of the signs of the coming apocalypse. So, you know, lift up your eyes, your redemption is drawing near. In the interview, Patrick Heron went on to say that the New World Order or a one-world global government could happen very soon, whether we like it or not. Gordon Brown, who's the Prime Minister of England, mentioned the New World Order, I think, nine times 
in a 20-minute speech last summer. I've heard it here on the radio several times. I've read it in the newspaper. I've heard about it on TV. So the way things are gearing up around the world at the moment with the Lisbon Treaty being passed last week in Europe, Ireland voted yes this time around, even though we'd voted no a year before because of the change in our economic circumstances that the EU and the government and everybody else put a gun to our head over here and said, if you don't vote yes this time, you're out on your own. And, of course, people are scared. So even though we democratically said no last year, they came along and said, oh, well, we respect your democratic decision to vote no, but now you've got to do it again, and this time you've got to vote yes, you know, speaking out of both sides of their mouths. So it's all happening in Europe, probably being one of the, the heads of the beast. Patrick Heron wrote extensively in Apocalypse Soon about the Antichrist, but he preferred the term the beast. The words Antichrist are only used four times in the Gospels, in the epistles of John, and the words the Antichrist are only used twice. When you get into the book of Revelation, which details his coming and his various activities when he will be here, along with his sidekick called the False Prophet, he's never referred to as the Antichrist. Rather, he is called the beast from the abyss. And the beast is used no less than 35 times in the book of Revelation. He's called the beast. And to give him his full title, John the Revelator refers to him as the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, having seven heads and ten horns. So the ten horns are metaphors, and so are the seven heads are metaphors for his government, which will be the new world order. This is James Collins, and you are listening to portions of an interview by the late author Patrick Heron about his book, Apocalypse Soon. The book is an examination of the evidence concerning the last days of planet Earth as we know it. You can know history before it happens in this easy-to-read account of God's warning to mankind. Apocalypse Soon is available right now in our Resource Center, and you can order a copy today by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. In Apocalypse Soon, Patrick Heron wrote about the Nephilim's return in the last days. Let's listen again as he explains that end-time phenomenon. The word Nephilim means the fallen ones, because they fell from heaven, fell to earth, and fell from grace. They are the sons of God, the fallen, rebellious sons of God who manifested on earth. Once they leave the realm of the spiritual, which is heaven, I believe, and come into the realm of the material, I think they lose their ability to go back to where they came from. Hence, the, the fallen angels were down here, in the descended on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared, which was somewhere around 1000 or so B.C., could have been 11 or 1200 years prior to the flood, not B.C., prior to the flood of Noah, I mean, which 2048 or so B.C. Um, so the Nephilim are the fallen angels, I believe, spirit beings, spirit men. These were the gods of Yor. They had sexual relations with women, and they had offspring, and the offspring of these guys were giants. They were hybrids of spirit and human beings. Um, Goliath that David fought later on was a, a progeny of these guys. So these were the offspring of the fallen angels that were the giants of Yor. And you remember, this happened both before the flood and after the flood. After we had a second eruption of these fallen angels with human beings, uh, again, human women. And we'll remember after the children of Israel escaped out of Egypt and Moses sent in the 12 spies to spy out the promised land. And when they came back, they said, there's no way we can 
take this place. It's full of giants. We look like grasshoppers compared to these guys. And it says two of the spies brought back a cluster of grapes hanging on a staff, one cluster of grapes. So it must be one big cluster. So big people need big food. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were genetically engineering grapes and other food back there at that time. But these were the offspring of the fallen angels, were the giants. I don't attach much importance to their offspring, to the giants. I think they were probably big, bungling oafs. But they were evil. They were half spirit, half human. David was able to dance around Goliath and take him down. They're the sideshow, as it were, then. The important people are the fallen angels, the spirit beings. They're the guys. So we're told that these guys descended and had sex with women in the days of Jared. By the time the flood came along, about a thousand years later, they had so infected and inflicted their sin on almost the whole population of the human race at that time, which may be as many as 30 million people, 20, 30 million people. Only Noah and his family, their DNA was not infected with these spiritual beings. Everybody else was, to the point where there was only violence and bloodshed, and there was only evil in men's hearts continuously on the earth at that time, and they were into all sorts of evil. And when we talk about what's going to happen again, as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be, this is what it's talking about. The big thing that happened in the days of Noah was the manifestation of these angels in the full sight of human beings on earth. They were probably beautiful-looking men because they were originally sons of God. They were supernatural, superhuman beings. They were advanced, probably irresistible to the women at the time. They taught them all sorts of things back then, according to the Book of Enoch, how to make weapons of war and wage war, how to mess around with drugs, how to abort the fetus in the stomach. Women started, you know tattooing themselves and dressing themselves up. There was evil, violence, there was drinking of blood. And that's why I think it just occurred to me last week where we have this proliferation of programs on the telly at the moment and books about vampires. It's all over the place. Teenage vampire romantica books are hugely popular. My own daughter's reading them here. And I'm asked her, why are you reading this? And she said, because it's really well written. She's a very good writer herself and she likes a good story. And I go, but it's prevalent. And that's going to be what happens on the earth again. Patrick Heron wanted everyone to know that there was a clear difference between angels and men. He used an illustration about a house and electricity to explain the difference. Angels are spirit beings, but we're flesh and blood men. I likened it yesterday. I was writing to a man in Africa about what angels are. And I said, maybe it's a metaphor would be like, you know, you have a house, but it's all wired up for electricity, but the electricity is not switched on. There's a house there, but there's no electricity. That's like us. But the spirit beings, like Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead, he had a new spiritual body. It was the same Jesus Christ. Thomas said, I won't believe in the resurrection until I put my fingers into the holes in his hands and the hole on the side where the spear wound was. And he subsequently appeared to Thomas and he said, here, touch me. Put your fingers into the holes in my hands and my side. He said, I'm not a phantom. So, but he had a new spiritual body. He could go in and out through walls. He could disappear from one place and go to another. He could be in, on earth and then, you know, go to the heavens, plural, to go to the house of many mansions, to heaven, which is outside our cosmos, our solar system. But his body was different. And so I likened it to angels to be like a house with all the electricity switched on. You can switch on the TV, the radio, the toaster, you know, the, you switch on the lights. But we have the shell, but we don't have that electricity yet. Today on Watchmen on the Wall, we're listening to portions of an interview by the late author Patrick Heron about his book, Apocalypse Soon. 
As I said earlier, Apocalypse Soon was a bestseller in Ireland when it was first released. Patrick then worked with Tom Horn to bring the book to the United States. Both Tom Horn and Patrick Heron believed that during the future tribulation, fallen angels will manifest themselves on earth. We're told in Revelation chapter 12 that there's a war in heaven. Not a battle, but a war. And it says their place was found no more in heaven, and they were cast down to the earth. And again, I believe, when the dragon and his angels are cast down to the earth, they will be cast out of the realm of the spiritual into the realm of the five senses of the earthly, of the material. They will take on forms. I think people are going to see these guys on the earth. And it says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil is cast down, and he knows that his time is short, and he is very, very wrought. And that's literally when you're going to have hell on earth. In Revelation 6, it describes this. It says, The stars of heaven fell to earth like figs falling from a fig tree, shaken by a mighty wind. So it talks, it says, the stars of heaven fell from heaven to earth. Now this is not talking about regular stars that we see when we call a falling star, we see a piece of a, a meteorite burning up in outer space. Stars don't fall from heaven to earth. This is another name for an angel, like the star fell from heaven to earth with the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. These are the fallen angels that are going to be cast down to earth. In Apocalypse Soon, Patrick Heron wrote about UFOs and aliens. He believed this phenomenon was conditioning the world for supernatural beings. Beings coming from outer space to Earth, abductions, UFOs, and I believe all this is doing. We even had the Vatican coming out recently talking about beings from outer space and saying that they're benign and their God that created them is the same as the God that created us and we should be friends with them. We have NASA sending up things, you know, to contact out our life. We have all the governments opening up their UFO files to tell us that this stuff is real. All it is doing is conditioning the world for the appearance of these beings when they arrive very, very soon at the beginning of the apocalypse. I'm James Collins, and you're listening to a special edition of Watchmen on the Wall featuring the late Patrick Heron talking about his book, Apocalypse Soon. In the book, Patrick teaches that the tribulation will be a time when fallen angels will appear on the earth. I absolutely have no doubt that Joel chapter 2 is speaking about the day of tribulation, the day of wrath, the gloomy day, all different names for the day of tribulation, the day of vengeance, the day of his burning anger, the great and terrible day of the Lord, the cruel day with wrath, fierce anger, the day of Jacob's trouble. It's speaking about the apocalypse there. And I was thinking about that in terms of the armies that are going to be battling, huge armies from the west, huge army from the east, numbering 200 million. The description is similar to the descriptions in a couple of places in Revelation where it describes these beings in Revelation 9, for instance, that their breastplates are of iron, their faces look like human faces with helmets on them and stuff, which I believe is all John trying to describe aerial battles, you know, um, jets, missiles and all that type stuff. I have no doubt that that's what that's talking about. You can throw that in the supernatural aspect into that too, possibly. As then, like I was talking about, when all these men are going to appear on the earth, these spirit beings, the fallen angels, and they're going to be supernatural beings. Later on, when we talk about Daniel chapter 2, it talks about the government and the empire that's going to be on the earth under the rule of the Antichrist in the last days. It's going to be made up of ten toes, and the ten toes are going to be made up of clay and iron. And then it says, they shall mingle their seed with the seed of men. So the clay... And the iron, I believe, is talking about both supernatural beings, the fallen angels, which are the iron, and compared to them, we are the clay. Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. 
So it's going to be an amalgamation. The governments will be made, the ten toes made together of human politicians, together with these fallen angels. And that's the clay in the urn. Patrick Heron believed that the great delusion spoken of in the Bible would be the worldwide lying signs and wonders of the Antichrist. I believe the great delusion that is coming is the fact that the whole world are going to accept this fella as the true Messiah, as Jesus Christ. So remember, the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. The whole of Christendom, and by Christendom I mean the Catholic Church, all these so-called Christian churches that are not Christian at all. They're just Christian in name. But I don't know if you've heard what's been going on in Ireland here in the last week, where a, another report came out about the abuse of children by priests in the Diocese of Dublin alone. And it's absolutely unbelievable, the stuff that's coming out. So the whole of Christendom don't know anything about Jesus Christ. So when he shows up, they're going to believe him. And of course, the rest of the world are going to believe him too. Because him and his mate, the false prophet, are going to deceive almost the whole world with their lying signs and wonders. When Jesus was here and when the apostles were on the earth after Pentecost, signs, miracles and wonders followed those that believed. So when this Christ comes on the earth, with his sidekick, the false prophet, they're going to deceive almost the whole world with their lying signs and wonders. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the first things he does is change water into wine or manufacture bread from nothing so as that to feed all the nations and get rid of hunger. He's going to promise to get rid of hunger, get rid of war, bring peace to the world. You know, he's going to be in the stead of Christ. And I think that's what the great delusion is, that the world is going to accept this guy as the Messiah when he shows up. In Apocalypse Soon, Patrick Heron taught that the Antichrist was a supernatural being and he is not some ordinary politician. And this is a spiritual supernatural being. That's why he's not a politician. It says these guys are going to be able to call fire down from heaven in the sight of men. It says that the false prophet is going to be able to take an image of the beast, which I presume is some sort of a statue, and breathe life into it. Right? That means it's going to, he's going to be able to make this statue come alive in the sight of men and order them to kill everybody who will not bow down to this statue or will not take the mark of the beast. But that's some heavy-duty miracles and wonders there. Now, I guarantee you, Barack Obama is not going to do that, or Hillary Clinton, or George Bush, or Ronnie Reagan, or anybody else. They don't do those things because they're human beings. The book is titled Apocalypse Soon by the late Patrick Heron. Thanks for listening. And remember, even though the days are dark, even though the apocalypse is coming soon, God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. With the Middle East becoming a boiling pot, Russia's Air Force testing U.S. airspace, missile tests by North Korea, the threat of war with Iran, and 21st century science pointing to a dire future for the planet, the results are undeniable. In Apocalypse Soon, The Beginning of the End, best-selling author Dr. Patrick Heron examines the incredible prophecies of the Bible through a fascinating expose on current events. He deftly interprets the signs of the times and signals that the horsemen of the apocalypse are about to ride. Order your copy of Apocalypse Soon, The Beginning of the End, when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. What is a mature minor? In Canada, it's someone that the Canadian government wants to assist in their own demise. With the details, here's Marvin McIlvaney with today's Bible in the News Report. 
So you walk into the doctor's office and you approach the receptionist. She looks at you and she says, have a seat. The doctor will kill you in a minute. Is it getting to be that easy to kill yourself? You might think, wow, I must have stumbled into Dr. Kevorkian's office. You remember him, don't you? He publicly argued for a terminal patient's right to die by physician-assisted suicide. His famous quote was, dying is not a crime. Yes, but killing people is. Kevorkian said that he assisted at least 130 patients in their lives. He was convicted of murder in 1999 and was often called in the media, Dr. Death. Suicide is not a new concept. We can trace acts of suicide back to over 3,000 years ago. Many Greeks and Romans believed that taking their own life could be viewed as honorable. Some may have held this belief due to Socrates and other public figures ending their lives and claiming it was for a noble reason. In ancient Greece, Rome, and Egypt, suicide was considered impermissible and sinful. The philosopher Aristotle helped people see that suicide was a loss to society, while Augustine preached that self-murder goes against God. Fast forward to the 19th century, and you can see how scientists and medical doctors have learned that suicide is often a symptom of depression and other mental illnesses. In our world today, it is highly unlikely that you will find someone whose life has not been touched by suicide, if not directly through family, either indirectly through a friend or co-worker. But what does the Bible say about suicide? Suicide is a horrible tragedy. While the term suicide itself is not written in the Bible, ending one's own life is mentioned numerous times. But first, let's look at how salvation is achieved. It's not through our behavior, either good or bad. Really good people don't get an automatic ticket to heaven, and people who struggle with sin do not automatically get a ticket to hell. Romans 10.9 gives us the most basic look at how salvation works, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So the question of salvation for anyone who dies by suicide is, did that person really, truly believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God? The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So if a person has genuine faith, we cannot say that an act caused by severe depression negates that saving faith. Still, God does not intend on us taking our own lives. He has a plan for each of us. In the Bible, King David told God, My times are in thy hand. That's Psalm 31:15. God is continually asking us to trust him with our lives and our future. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When it feels like you have no hope, look to God. Put your faith in him and ask for strength and guidance. In the Bible, there are examples of suicide. Some of these were selfish acts committed by men who were not seeking to live for God. Abimelech in Judges 9.54. Abimelech did not want his death credited to the woman who had mortally wounded him. So he cried out to his armor bearer to draw his sword and kill him. So this would be armor bearer assisted suicide. Samson in Judges 16, 29, 31. The death of Samson was noble. 
While he did kill himself in the process of destroying the Philistine temple and the Philistines, he prayed to God for strength, and his death was sacrificial. Saul and his armor-bearer, 1 Samuel 31.4, when the Philistines attacked Israel and killed Saul's three sons and his troops, he asked his armor-bearer to draw his sword and kill him. His servant was afraid to do this, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When he saw what Saul did, Saul's armor-bearer took his life as well. Ahithophel, 2 Samuel 17.23, when he realized that Absalom did not take his advice and rejected him, Ahithophel went home and hung himself. Zimri, 1 Kings 16.18, after seeing that Omri had taken his city and didn't want to surrender, Zimri went to the royal palace, set it on fire, and let himself die in the flames. Judas Iscariot, Matthew 27.5, after betraying Jesus, the guilt and the burden were too much for Judas, and he hung himself with remorse. Instead of repenting and asking forgiveness, Jesus' disciple Judas allowed the burden of sin to lead him to this terrible end. That's in Matthew 27, 3 and 4. In 2016, Canada legalized euthanasia through the mildly titled Medical Aid in Dying, or MAID. Since passing, the number of Canadians who either enthusiastically or cautiously support the practice has risen slightly from 75% to 80%. The response from communities representing those with disabilities have remained consistently opposed. Their fears that Canada's end-of-life policies would prove to be only the edge of the cliff of a moral abyss have proven to be largely accurate. Next year, euthanasia will likely be extended to so-called mature minors. At a time when so many efforts are being made toward suicide prevention among teenagers, they will be taught that death is an acceptable way out of mental anguish. This is going to be horrific. Alan Nichols was a 61-year-old man who was hospitalized in 2019 over fears he might be suicidal. Within a month, Nichols submitted a request to be euthanized, and he was killed, despite concerns raised by his family and a nurse practitioner. The only physical health condition listed on Nichols' form of consent was hearing loss. According to his brother Gary, quote, Alan was basically put to death. God's gift to us is life. God's plan for us is to live and make an effort to seek his will. The only things we should be putting to death are our anger, stubbornness, pride, and self-seeking behavior, and then we can be transformed into Jesus' own image. Only God knows what's in a person's heart and what their intentions are. No one else can feel the pain or suffering that another is going through to the extent God can. We don't earn our way to heaven by not sinning. It's through faith in Jesus that we are saved. In the Bible, there are multiple accounts of people feeling despair and depression. Solomon hated life. Elijah was depressed and pleaded for death. Jonah was so angry at God, he also wanted to die. Even the Apostle Paul felt more pressure than he felt he could endure. Yet even on their darkest days, none of these men ended their lives. Instead, they cried out to God. If you or someone you know are having thoughts of suicide, reach out to a parent, a sibling, a teacher, a counselor, a pastor, a significant other, or a friend. Apocalypse Soon by Dr. Patrick Heron, The Armageddon Syndrome by J.R. Church, and Essays in Apocalypse by Terry James. Order this important collection today when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, 
Mac Dominic will expose the system breakdown that is all around us and how we can live in the paradigm shift that is coming from the New World Order. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.